Welcome to Necessary Rebels. I'm Sandra, your host. This is a podcast series amplifying raw human stories, tackling racism and inequalities in life and in work. Do you want to know how to be actively anti-racist? Do you want advice on challenging racism? Do you know how to have those uncomfortable conversations? Then lean in and join me. Whether you're in the USA or the UK, we know that change is happening. So why not come along and be part of that change? Hi, Tori. Welcome to Necessary Rebels. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Hi, Sandra. (laughs) Listen, we were in a safe space recently and you mentioned something that really stood out for me that I hadn't heard about before. It was really new to me. And you talked about your childhood and kind of growing up and you called it farming, but I had not heard about it before. So um, I thought it would be great to bring you on to tell our listeners a little bit more about that and what that experience was like for you. So thank Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Tori, tell us about yourself. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a difficult question. I never know how to answer that. So I'm Tori. I am Nigerian-British. I live in London. I work for the NHS, which is how we met. I do art. I do Mm -hmm. story readings and stuff like that. Yeah. Wonderful. (laughs) All right. And you're a mom, aren't you? I am a mom. Yeah. How old is your daughter? Just turned five a couple of days ago. Amazing. So I guess it's probably a good point to tell people a little bit about it. So as I said before, it was not on my radar at all. I didn't know anything about it until you raised it in our safe space. But since then, I've been learning a bit about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, try and Google it. The pages come up. It's mostly yes. about agriculture, right? It's kind of like <laughs> you got to really dig deep to find it, right? If you Google farming or private fostering in the same phrase, a lot of things tend to come up. Farming in a weird way is a derogatory term. Some people find it derogatory. I'm not ambivalent to it in that way, but I know people who don't like the term. I'm not too cool with the term private fostering either because for me, it wasn't fostering. For a lot of people, it was because in my mind, fostering is when you can no longer be taken care of by your parents. So for me, it was more of a culture merge in a weird way because in Nigeria people look after people do you know what I mean like there are maids there are drivers and it's part of the culture so in that way they see childminders not as we see them as nine to five whilst we're working I believe that the generation before me see it more as a full-time kind of thing do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. It's really interesting. But it was the practice of private fostering mm-hmm. or adoption, which was in a way different from what we think of fostering, right? Yes, it's because very different. is kind of paid by the government, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but yeah. these people are paying people to look after their children privately mm. because they're working or studying or for whatever reason. So this was in response to a growing population of African student families kind of taking up temporary residence. Well, not residents per se. My mother at the time, so um, my parents are a trained accountant and architect. Mm-hmm. At that point, money was good, was good as in the exchange rate. Mm between Nigeria and the UK. So she was doing some exams here and working as an accountant and studying part-time as well. So it was childminding 
for a lot of people in their situation, a lot of people I know. For some people, it wasn't that. It was fostering from people who came to study or needed to work. It became more than it was. Mm. I know people who actually became fostered by the people because either payments stopped or for whatever reason. So interesting. What I found as well, I read somewhere it was 1955 where a childcare journal nursery published its first advertisement for a private foster home for a West African child in Britain. Like it was advertised. Can you imagine? Like, wow. There was an ad put out. And then by 1974, it was reported that an estimated 10,000 children were privately fostered in England. And 6,000 of those were born to African student parents who, as you say, personally paid for the arrangement. So, as you know, I'm American and I hadn't heard about this before. So, this is very new to me. And I suspect it will be very new to a lot of our listeners as well. I was speaking about this with somebody last week who is my friend who works with us, who is Nigerian. And she said, until you spoke to me about this, I'd never heard about it. And then she spoke Mm. to her husband, whose siblings and himself have been through it. It's not a case if you don't talk about it for bad memories, because they particularly have good memories. It's just, you know, one of those things like being black, everybody just assumes you just know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. What do you remember most about being fostered? So is there like a particular story that stands out in your mind? Yeah, so this is where it's probably a positive experience Mm -hmm. for me. I was born two months premature. So my mom didn't expect me when I came. She Mm -hmm. wasn't prepared. So I was eight weeks in the incubator Mm -hmm. and she needed someone to look after me because she had planned for two months later. So my godmother was employed when I had been two weeks in the incubator. So she got me from fresh, so to speak, and was looking after me from in the hospital before six weeks prior to my discharge. So in a way, she bonded pretty early. So I was raised with her children. She had three boys at the time. She had a young girl after me and she was looking after other English white children. I just happened to be a living child that she was minding and she was a child minder on the government list so she had three or four other children she was looking after who would come in the morning their parents go to work and they'd come pick them up but I would see my mother either every weekend or every other weekend or family members weirdly my cousins I had cousins who went to boarding school who would also come over during half terms to stay with us they were boys their experience was different to mine Mm. but one of the stories that stands out is my godbrother who I call my family because we are all godparents to each other's children now we had to have a school photo and he saw me as his sister there are two years between us and you would have sibling photos and I remember they didn't have us down as siblings obviously because we looked completely different but he was convinced in his heart and his soul and still is that we are twins and we are siblings so he was going to have his school picture with me and I remember he fought hard tooth and nail and I remember being in tears and in the picture I'm in tears because he wouldn't have the picture without me in it because it was all siblings in the school yeah but that that was one of my first memories just because I was upset because I didn't understand but he got in a lot of trouble for um Mm. off the way he did at six or seven years old and I was about five yeah I'd love to see that photograph. Wow. Yeah. What a story. What was your relationship like with your biological mother during this time? And also, what's it like now? I think I considered my godmother more of a parent parent. And then I saw my mother as, you know, you get dressed up to see her. And my mom's quite 
standoffish or even now it's a weird one because in some ways I feel sorry for my mum because Mm. I believe she missed out on the best of me and when eventually I went to live with her when I was younger I was always put in school or still looked after by childminders and then I went to boarding school so she's never truly been a parent she's always said I don't know if I can parent properly so I paid for someone who can Mm. do you know what I mean Mm. so So our relationship is fractured because sometimes she tries to be my parent and it's difficult because I don't need parenting from her and don't know Mm. if she knows how to do it. There's obviously probably this real sense of disconnect as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Even giving birth to my child, both my white mum and my black mum were in the room. And it's very weird because you can see the dynamic between them both. I was bleeding, I had a cesarean, I was poorly, I didn't know where it was coming from. And I looked at my mummy my black mum and said because she was closer and said something's happening and I don't know what but it doesn't feel right and she goes I am not your parent like that this is not my job and she turned around and she said your daughter is in trouble wow (laughs) wow oh my god my white mum stepped forward sorted it all out when I was in the bed all cleaned up and less messy my mum comes back and because they hadn't got me a private room and there was things going on that's what my my mummy does she sorted out the hard stuff and the Mm. bureaucratic stuff Mm. and made sure I was in a private room because I was so poorly do you see what I mean yeah so they work together as one mum in yeah. a weird way. One <laughs> does the comforting. Yeah. I don't ring my black mummy if I'm crying or in pain. Mm. I ring my white mummy. I ring mm. my black mummy if I need, and I say ask if I need an ass kicked. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you can. You can say yes. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> okay, so two different women, two different uh-huh. backgrounds, mm-hmm. parenting in very, very different ways. So how does that make you feel? Like, how do you feel about that? I've thought about it more since I became a parent five years ago because I needed therapy to be a parent because I didn't think I could be because of how my mummy is. I thought it wasn't within me and I was terrified to do it. I think I have both characteristics of both and I'm grateful in a way for my white mum as well because she has taught me how to love I feel she loves too much without the discipline that comes from my black mum so you know there's a there's a mishmash of both there's a mishmash of cultures there's a mishmash of emotions it's a difficult one because at present I feel my black mum and I love her and I love her so much and I really mm. do but there's a disconnect now because she's not bonding with my child Mm. my child is not raised like me she's vocal and loud and I was a very quiet child who didn't speak until spoken to because that's how that's how you were raised yes yeah and because you're shuffled around so much a lot of things got missed when I was a child and if I wasn't within sight of my white mum they wouldn't be addressed so I got meningitis as a child wasn't picked up until I was with my white mum do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. any health issues I had wouldn't be picked up until the white mum saw me because she would know so things like glasses or I couldn't see or typhoid or meningitis Mm -hmm. or I have scoliosis of the back all my health conditions even when I was pregnant I need to ring to check whether I've had measles chicken pox I ring my white mum So in a way, when we think about motherhood as well, we are so aware of all the little nitty things about our children, right? So when my son is unwell, I can just look at him right away and say, nope, he's not well. Like, I just know it. I don't need him to tell me. I can just look at him. Same with my daughter. I can just look at them 
and say, nope, there's something not right. And it's just this kind of instinct that you have with motherhood, I think. But somehow your white mother ended up having those instincts in a way that your biological mother didn't. But you were in close contact with both of them growing up. Is that not Yeah, no, I wasn't. Right? But my white mom has those instincts about everybody. She's that kind mm. of person. Mm. And that's why I say sometimes the loving is too much. She's very, very accommodating to everyone. She lives in Cornwall. I take friends there for the weekend. It's literally like a spa weekend. I will walk in on her rubbing my friend's feet or massaging. (laughs) She's that kind of person. Do you see what I mean? (laughs) I need to come over, okay? If if that's what she's offering, then no. There's there's the other side which I'm going to tell you about. My mom, I need to point out that my mom has been through a war. She's Nigerian. Mm. She was in the Biafran war. She's been through things. So she has her own trauma too. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and that generation don't seek therapy for those kind of things. They You're just absolutely right. So for both of them, I know mm. that they both come from different kinds of trauma and they have what have gone on in their life which also affects how they both relate to me. Mm -hmm. Because I know my godmother is so loving because she didn't feel that from growing up herself. I feel it's too much. She doesn't do the discipline with the love. But at this point in my life, all I need is the love and not the discipline, if you see what I mean. So she works better for me now raising my child than she did perhaps when I was a teenager or in my 20s. My godmother and I had disconnect when I was in my 20s because I felt she should be more disciplined with herself and other people so yes it's a weird one it's a merging of cultures and trauma and the reason I say you might not like to come with me there is because they are not good with words to use around black people they are politically perhaps not as left-leaning as I may be Mm -hmm. they are all lives matter people (laughs) yeah yeah I believe that sometimes that's through education not necessarily through ignorance uh, or uh, personal ignorance uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Pers- it's ignorance it's not it's yeah. not a case of yeah. they're horrible people because they're like i've just said they're incredibly loving people mm. but it's a case of how you're raised and what you're around and yeah you communicate with you know that leans itself nicely to our next question which is mm-hmm. did you feel your foster family had equipped you with the tools needed to navigate society as a young black woman were you prepared for the racism you received definitely not Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely not. So my mum realised this part and took me away when I was five, six years old. And I went to school in Nigeria for a while because she felt I needed to get more in tune with culture and my black side and that sort of thing. But on the flip side of that, my godmother is aware of racism. And and I tell you when I realised she was, because I think I grew up thinking she wasn't. When I went looking for a first job when I was about 17, And I was the only black person in school and in the town we lived at the time. And I went in asking for application forms. And after I went into each retail shop on the high street asking, she would go in after me and ask for an application form if I didn't get one. (laughs) Took me two weeks to work out what she was doing. She never said anything. Yeah. And we've recently discussed this where she said, oh, yeah, if they didn't give you an application form and they gave me one, she goes, I'd kick ass in there. And I was reporting to them and to the police. Or, but I think there was two shops that didn't give me an application form that gave her one. She gets angry because that's her baby. And apparently she went in and booked appointments and reported them to the police and did the whole shebang. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So they try in their own way as much as they can. Yeah. But there's also a lack of 
how to go about it the right way. And, so. you know, you talked about seeking therapy. When did you seek therapy as an adult? Yes, I was pregnant. I think it hit me one day, I'm going to be a parent. I don't know if I know how to parent. Mm. I don't know if I have been parented appropriately. So I need someone to speak to. And I couldn't speak to either of my mums because I don't want them to feel like they've done a bad job. I don't think they have. With the tools that they have, I feel they've done the best job, both of them. So yeah, so I sought help. Like my godmother and my mum, both of them are still parenting me in a way because I, I've just, like I think I said to you, I've just come back from Cornwall. My daughter is there with them now. I start a new job, so they're watching my daughter for me for a week. My daughter is not the child I was. I was very quiet. I was very reserved. I was spoken only when spoken to. People wouldn't notice if I hadn't spoken for a long time. Mm. She was the exact opposite. <laughs> and it's interesting to see the different dynamic. What are you noticing? I'm noticing my daughter picks up on colour a lot. I surround her at home with black books and black toys and colours. I grew up without colour. And I mean that as in I was usually the only black person in the school. But she notices and she points it out and she asks and she asks those questions and she asks them those questions, which I think is helping them learn. If they buy her a book, she says, oh, there's only pink people in this book. Why is that? So she's having those conversations. Yeah. 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 She's, yeah. They're, they're waking up, right? Yeah. And, and, and having to have those conversations with her. And they're, they're really Catholic. Cool. They even have, she even has questions about, where did you say Jesus was? Mm. And they said, and it was their Catholic day. So my godmother talks to her about that sort of thing. And she goes, but they don't look like white people over there. I've seen that, you know? So yeah. they're all yeah. having questions and she questions everything. And yeah. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's that generation that's going to change it all. I have complete faith. Mm. Um, Are they learning generation. too? Yeah, absolutely. They accept it better from her than from me mm. because she's younger. She's cuter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do you think being farmed to white families impacted your life? There are certain things I know instinctively that I have friends who've had to learn, which is I know Oh, and this is going to sound awful. I have to speak a certain way so as not to upset people. Yeah. I'm Nigerian. So how I sound now is not how I sound with my family and close friends. I'm a lot louder. I'm a lot more rambunctious. I scream. I shout. I talk with my hands. That's cool. And that's fun. I know if I do that sometimes with my white family, I get sometimes, oh, we're scared or are you angry? Those kind of questions. So I know I have to sound like this when I'm speaking to people. And I have to use words and my face to say, I'm happy about this. Yeah, mm. so I, I temper myself in certain other companies. Or I censor myself when comments are made. And I think, okay, I've black checked three times today. I've said you can't use the word Negro twice. I've said this, I've said that. And I'm thinking, mm, when I hit five, I'll probably just take myself away and not address it again. So almost having to make those adjustments in order for other people to feel comfortable in your presence. Yes. Yes. And I do it professionally. I occasionally do it 
in my personal life with some people. There are some friends that I can't take there because I'm aware that they might take offence. And it's a strange one. I worried about my child growing up. That I would never leave her alone with them until quite recently. And I'm, that makes me sad. But um, mm. I would never leave her alone with them recently because I worried about what was being put into her brain. But I now realise she's fine. She questions everything, like I say. So, yeah, originally I was really worried. And that's from both parents. And I say that not just from my white mum. I say that from my black mum as well. But yeah, she questions me. Even when I say black girl magic or things like that, she goes, and what, why do only black girls have magic? Am I brown? Am I, you know, mm. I answer these questions as well as both my mums do to her. There's something about growing up in spaces where we can't be our true selves. And what does it really mean to be our true selves, right? Because just like you, when I'm with my family, we're really loud. Every day we risk exposing our vulnerabilities in a society that constantly tell us we don't get to be soft or we don't get to be loud. We don't get to play. We don't get to run. We don't get to dance. We don't get to be creative. And we allow it in those moments because in those moments we are free. It's, it's all love, right? It's all mm -hmm. love. It's like a party, right? Mm -hmm. Every time we come together. But it would definitely be different if there were lots of white people in that space. They might think, as you say, that, you know, there's something else going on here. Do you feel leaving your daughter with them that safe? You feel like she's in a safe space. You feel like she's growing up differently to you to where she can have a voice and she can speak out and she can be her true self. Definitely. Since becoming a parent and realizing that she is different to me as a person as well. I'm in my fourth decade of life now. My godmother and her family, who are now my family, have adapted in some weird way. And I'll be honest with you, we probably can't ever be filmed because we all say things that might not be politically correct from both the white side and the black side when mm -hmm. we're all in a room together. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They have become a bit more loud and we might not be so insulting because we are Nigerian and insults are a way of us showing love to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know that my aunties even have tempered themselves. They no longer start conversations with, oh, how fat are you? It's usually like, now it will be, hello, how are you? Kind of thing. <laughs> but we speak up more. Because the world is changing, the world has changed. My nieces, and these are my white nieces, are a lot, 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 lot more aware of things to the point where they even help me. They teach me about things I should know or might not know. They teach me about pronouns and how to use them. They teach me sometimes even about race, and they are both white. And they're in their late teens, early 20s. They teach their parents as well. So with them being around my five-year-old, I know, like we said, the next generation is is amazing. For them, it's not learned. It's grown behavior. It's what they do. It's different, isn't it? It's very mm. different. What would you like our audience to know about you and this experience? <laughs> like what's important for them to know about Tori? And how can we show up for you and others who share your experience? So for me, and I'm aware that my experience, although negative in many ways, which I might not have gone into, has ended up being positive. I was lucky that my mother happened to phone the first phone number she saw on that thing, and that happened to be who she found to look after me. I know many people who weren't that lucky and have had horrific, traumatic experiences 
living with whoever was chosen to look after them that has impacted their life negatively or however which way. So for me, I would say I'm good. I'm a happy person. I'm aware that my life is a little bit uh, different to most. <laughs> but I would say it's opened my mind to accepting people as well. A lot of my friends and a lot of my family sometimes say, don't accept the ignorance because they don't love you if they feel that way about black people. Sounds cliched when I say love conquers all, but love does help change many, many, many things. And it does help conquer all because I can see the next generation from my godmother's family are better for them having me around. And I see my daughter will be better for having them in our family as well and vice versa. It's beautiful. Well, it's been such a pleasure. And honestly, you're truly inspiring. Your story is very, very interesting. And as I said, I didn't know anything about it before. I've been reading, as you say, there are lots of people who had very, very different experiences to you. And there have been attempted suicides because I've managed mm -hmm. to speak to a few people who are not ready to come on and talk about that yet. But there have been some real tragic, some really traumatic experiences off of the back of this. So I'm just glad that you are here and you are Tori and we get to hear your story and we get to learn from you as well. So thank you for sharing that. Definitely. Tori, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and on Instagram at necessary underscore rebels underscore pod. This was an II Studios production. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and give us any feedback as we're always trying to be better. And stay tuned for our next episode.